Warriors Home Improvement Show, built by Par Lumber. When it comes to big or small projects around the home, Tony and Corey have got the know-how and the answers to make your life just a bit easier. Here they are, your Weekend Warriors, Tony and Corey. Hey, welcome to the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show built by Par Lumber. I'm Corey Valdez. And I'm Tony Cookston. Thanks for tuning in with us today. We've got another great show lined up for you. Today, Tony and I are going to continue a conversation that we had on this show a few weeks back. We called it Lumber Yard Lingo. There's a lot of uh, words and a lot of definitions of things that go on inside the lumber yard that you probably don't hear all the time that Tony and I use on a daily basis. It helps uh, when you go in there to buy something for your project. If you can speak the language that they're speaking, makes you feel more confident, makes uh, makes you seem more like you're involved in what's going on in, in your hip, so to speak. <laughs> and so uh, you just feel less out of place and more like you belong. So we thought we would cover some of those things to make your next trip to the lumberyard a little easier. Yeah, you know, so the first show the first episode of this we called it lumber yard lingo so we'll call this lumber yard lingo part two part two <laughs> and uh, there was a lot of terms we talked about dimensional lumber we talked about things specifically in the lumber yard you know from a moffet to i joyce layouts forklifts stickers those sorts of things uh, lumber we didn't actually get through our entire list that we created for lumber you know uh we were talking a lot about the different types, you know, the different when you're ordering lumber, the like dug fur, hem fur, you know, S4S. That means it's surfaced on four sides. Uh, there's a couple ones, a couple here that uh, we missed. Rough sawn versus resawn versus full sawn. Tony, do you know the difference between all three of those? Well, I do. Of course, I've spent a lot of years in the lumber industry talking about this kind of stuff. So I've got a pretty good understanding about it, but I know that it can be. Um, it can be kind of confusing because they all seem very similar. Well, and they are. They are very similar. Um, you know, when you come into a lumber yard and you have a piece of, say, old wood, like uh, an old 1930s home, uh, and it was a two by four or a two by six. Well, that lumber was what's called full sawn. It was sawn two inches by four inches, and that's what you got, and that's what they built with. It wasn't until later years where they started running it through planers, smoothing it out, adding those eased edges to prevent slivers and those sorts of things. Uh, but that would what's what would be called full sawn. So now what they do is they uh, if you want to order that, you order it full sawn. If you want it to be standard dimension size, like say you're ordering a, a four by ten and you want it to match other four by tens, you order it, but you want it to be rough. You would call that resawn or rough sawn. You can get it. Uh, there's lots of different ways. They can make it look like it's been band sawed. Uh, they can make it look actually just like really rough. There's a few different options there. Uh, or you can get it square edged, uh, but that would just be normal S4S square lumber. Yeah, a lot of times it depends on what your, what your application is, what you're going to use it for. If you're working outside, for example, if you're building a an exposed pergola or... Um, like you did in your backyard. Yeah, like a back patio cover, and you want it to have that wood look, then there's a very good possibility that you're going to be framing it up with... It's sort of a finished grade lumber, right? But in big timbers, a lot of times, um, you will want it to have that, that rough look 
but you're working with, like you said, some timbers that are have already been uh, planed down to be that nominal, not nominal size, net size. Yeah, net size. Net size. Uh, but you want it to look like it's full sawn. So they'll run it through a bandsaw, bandsaw it back, put a rough face on it. Um, and that would be something that you'd use in a, in a finish application, but outside really. Yeah, it's, it's, a, um, it's an aesthetic. It's a very aesthetic thing. I don't like, and you said outside. You make a good point because I don't recommend using uh, rough sawn or re-sawn lumber indoors. And the reason is it's extremely difficult to clean. If you have a resawn beam, like resawn timber frames inside of a house, you know, when it gets dusty, you can't dust it. No, if you try to dust it, little particles will fall off of it all the time. <laughs> all that dusting you, stuff will you'll just... You'll constantly be sweeping or vacuuming underneath it. It's really not an interior type of a yeah, product. Yeah, no. It's, it's difficult to clean, so that's all I'll say about that. Yeah. But uh, there's a lot of other things here. You know, we didn't cover VG. Clear vertical grain. Yes. Clear vertical grain. CVG. CVG. Yeah. Yeah, vertical grain is uh, is very common and honestly pretty expensive if they are grading for a vertical grain. And uh, it's almost always clear. I mean, I suppose there could be a vertical grain out there that's not clear, but uh, it's almost always clear. If you're paying for a vertical grain, you're getting a clear product. That would be something that would be super smooth, used on the inside, and generally would be stained or clear coated to be finished on the inside. And when you say clear, that typically means no knots. No knots. Right, exactly. So uh, a, a clear tight knot, not something you're going to find. Yeah. If you walk into a lumber, you said, I need a piece of clear tight knot, they're going to look at you weird. Yeah, they're going to look at you funny. Uh, so clear, no knots. And uh, tight knot, of course, is the difference between a loose knot and a tight knot. A loose knot can fall out uh, and a tight knot will not. That's pretty, pretty, yeah, there you go. Pretty obvious. <laughs> yeah. It seems like it should be, but. Um, let's talk about check and wane. Check and wane. Check and wane. There's a, that's, that's a standard lumber term, check, and there's wane. Um, not the guy, but what wane is, is when you're sawing lumber, sometimes you get to the outside of that sapwood and you start to see the curvature or the bark. Sometimes that will make it onto an edge of a piece of lumber, and that's called wane. It won't have a perfectly square edge. It's totally normal. It doesn't affect the strength of the wood. It just doesn't look as nice. So if you want something finished grade, uh, you'll want to buy something number one or you know select uh, for appearance grade rather than you know standard framing lumber, which would be your typical number two and better is what we call it, uh, or stud grade sometimes people sell uh, but that will have a lot of that it'll have a ton of wane and sometimes lumber will also have a lot of check and what check is is on the ends of the piece of wood it'll have splits it'll just start to it's called checking and that's completely normal and that also does not affect the strength of that piece of lumber but rather the appearance of it. Yeah, again, the difference between lumber that you would use to frame that's going to ultimately be covered up by some sort of finish and uh, and something that is going to be exposed and not going to be covered up. So if you're trying to select out of standard lumber or two and better lumber, something that doesn't have wane and doesn't have end checking, you're not likely to find it. As a matter of fact, most lumber yards will not condone picking finished lumber out 
of, of a two and better or a standard and better pile? It's just difficult to do. I mean, the trees that we're pulling dimensional lumber out of now are so much smaller than they were, you know, a long time ago. You could walk in and buy tons of lumber that was full square edge, looked really good. And now it's just, it's riddled with lots of wane, lots of knots. Increasingly more as we go forward. Yep, it's just the, the way trees, it is. Trees get smaller. They're growing for shorter periods of time. And uh, for sustainability purposes, we're milling it sooner. And so you end up with more wane, more percentage of wane than you had in the past. Not Bruce Wayne. Right, not Bruce. Uh, okay, we got to take a quick break. Uh, when we come back, more Lumberyard lingo so that you can feel more comfortable in the Lumberyard when you go. You're listening to Tony and Corey. Your Weekend Warriors will be right back. Welcome back to the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show. Thanks for staying with us. Today in the show, we're talking about Lumberyard Lingo uh, version 2. And uh, we've been talking a little bit about lumber, uh, you know, dimensional, and dimensional, dimensional lumber. lumber. Yeah. Uh, but we should move into panels. There's, There's a lot to do with panels. A lot. I mean, I feel like it is an endless conversation, honestly. We could talk about panels forever. But we need to try to keep it as interesting as possible and try to hit the high parts. Well, that'll be tough. The super, the super important stuff. Yeah, this is pretty boring stuff, really. But <laughs> yeah, we'll try to make it as fun as possible. So panels are sheets, right? Yeah, sheet goods. A very common size of sheet good uh, is four foot by eight foot. If you go in to buy a sheet of plywood, uh, you're going to get offered something that's four foot by eight foot. That's very common. It's not only available in four by eight. You can get it in four by nine, four by ten. 4 by 12, um, 5 by 8 sometimes. Um, and you get into a 5-foot wide, and it's it's a pretty uh, narrow list of materials that are available, but uh, they are uh, not generally stocked, I would say, in a 5-foot wide. But if you're buying in quantity, uh, if you're buying units or truckloads or something for your enormous 5-foot panel project, it is something that can be sourced, but not very common. 4 by 8, most common. Yeah, most panels, like you said, are, are going to be that four, 48 inches by 96 inch panel. Um, you know, when it comes to panels, there's a lot of different types. You know, you've got your interior, you've got your exterior. Um, we classify those, you know, depending on what your project is. You know, a lot of times if you're building something, you know, the exterior sheathing uh, versus something like an interior panel, like you know, gypsum, sheetrock, drywall, all kind of the same thing. Um, so we should talk a little bit about the outside panels. You okay. know, you've got your OSB, your CDX, your plywood. Um, plywood kind of gets lumped together, right? Everybody just calls exterior sheathing plywood. Yeah. Uh, but in reality, you know, OSB is probably your most common. These bu- days. Building material, yeah. Um, if you want actual plywood, there are so many different grades. Should we talk about the grades a little bit? Yeah, well, let's talk about the difference between plywood and other sheet goods just for a second. Yeah, there you go. Um, plywood, for example, is uh, multiple plies of wood that are in four foot by eight foot dimensions usually. And they're super thin, right? They kind of peel them off of the tree. 
Yeah, they call those veneers. Yeah, they're wafer thin plies and they pick, take those plies and they stack them together with nothing but glue between them and then as as you stack them they get thicker and thicker and thicker and of course uh you you end up with this sheet that's very solid and strong uh lots of strands of wood going in different directions and uh and those those wafers or those plies create plywood um and then of course there's a lot of there's a lot of different other types of sheets of sheet goods that are made differently. We talked about oriented strand board, I think a little bit in the last show, but oriented strand board are more like um, smaller chips of wood, thin chips of wood that are laid together with more glue. And uh, that sort of makes a um, composited together um, bunch of larger chips, chips of wood with glue that makes also a sheet or in the shape of a sheet. Yeah, they actually orient those strands together in a certain pattern and they cross laminate those, those pieces together to create extra strength. That's why OSB actually has a higher shear value than plywood, but it does have a tendency to fail when it gets introduced to moisture over a long period of time. Yeah. And where plywood is stronger, it, it, it also can delaminate when exposed to moisture over a long period of time, but it seems to stand up better to moisture. Yeah, that's debatable. And then there's then there you go a little bit finer, right? So you take those those wafers of wood and make them a little bit smaller, and you come up with particle board. They take particles of wood and glue those together, come up with particle board, which is also an interior product, more susceptible to water. And then even finer than that, you can end up with fiber board, like medium density fiber board or tempered hardboard. These are also um, just like wood flour at this point mixed with glue in the shape of a sheet, uh, but also susceptible to water. Yeah, the nice part about MDF and MD, uh, you know, medium density fiberboard is that it it's really smooth. You know, you see a lot of it in a finish grade application where it paints super, super smooth. So it's tough to get that with a plywood just because real wood's going to have that texture and that veneer look to it. So if you really want something super, super smooth, MDF's where it's at. Yeah, that's also very heavy. Uh, so that that kind of knocks it out of contention in some situations. Yeah, totally. Um, so if you're talking about plywood, then um, the the amount of plies that are used in a any given um, plywood product um, has something to do with its strength and its quality. Uh, but we can talk a little bit about how plywood is graded. So let's start with maybe the bottom grade or maybe the most common grade, which I would say is CDX. Yeah, CDX, uh, the the term there, CDX, that refers to the faces of the plywood. So you'll have one face that's a C grade, the other face that's a D grade, which is typically your lowest grade. And X means that it's manufactured with exterior grade glue. That doesn't mean that it's waterproof right? or that you can use it in a marine application. That just means that it's using exterior gray glue and not interior gray glue. Um, the next probably most common would be a CC. Yep. C to C faces. Right. CC generally will come to you um, as a CC PTS, which is plugged and touch sanded. So C face, C face, plugged and touch sanded. And what they're talking about there is in a C face on a piece of plywood, you can have voids in the outermost veneer. So remember, you have 
you have multiple plies of wood together to make this one sheet. And the outermost ply on either side is the ply that is graded. And a C grade will allow for voids in that veneer. So in a CC PTS, they would either cut the void out, replace it with a little football shaped piece of veneer, and then, uh, and then sand that. Or if it's a small void, they'll just fill it with some putty and sand over it so that you get an actual solid face. But if you were to stain it, you would see all those, um, all those defects or those yeah. voids. A CCPTS is typically a paint grade plywood. Right. And even if you paint it, you still can see those. Like you wouldn't want to use that for uh, cabinets or something inside the house. Maybe if you were painting something that was going to be inside the garage, that would be uh, something you could use that for. Yeah, or an overhang. Or you that, know, Typically, yeah. that's where you would see CCPTS used the most, is on an overhang of your roof. Right. When they're sheeting your roof, you're framing the house or replacing the roof on your house, they'll sheet the you know 90% of the roof with CDX or, in some cases, OSB. But right at the eave, where the gutters attach there, that eave is oftentimes exposed. You can see that from from the ground level underneath, and uh, and they would use a CCPTS there so that it could be painted with no voids. Yeah, other popular grades, you know, I've seen BC or AB. Uh, sometimes you even get into AB marine. A marine grade, a lot of people get this confused. They think a marine grade can be used underwater or, you know, as waterproof plywood. That is not the case. Marine grade plywood just means that it has no voids anywhere in that panel. Because when you have a void, there's a potential for moisture to collect there and build up. And that will quickly allow for that panel to delaminate. So a marine grade just means that has no voids. Uh, Similar to that would be a UDL grade or underlayment grade. Underlayment grade plywood also has no voids. It's typically meant as a plywood that goes uh, under a walking surface. So you would want to use, like if you were putting down, say, linoleum, a, linoleum, a solid surface you know, sheet good like linoleum, you would put that down. You'd want to use a UDL grade. Yeah, and I'll explain why. we got to take a quick break, but I'll explain why. Yeah, it's very important, especially interior of the home where you're going to be walking, that uh, that you don't have voids in the veneers, and, and we'll totally dig into that as soon as we get back. You're listening to Tony and Corey, your weekend warriors and lumberyard lingo. Don't go away. show built by par lumber now here's tony and Corey. hey welcome back to the weekend warriors home improvement show thanks for staying with us if you haven't already go check out our facebook and instagram and youtube uh, we're on facebook and instagram at ww home show uh, on youtube you can check us out you can just search the weekend warriors home improvement show uh, subscribe to our channel. We would love that. Well, we're recording this uh, as a video podcast right now. So uh, welcome and thanks for tuning into that. Uh, if you ever have any questions or comments, you can go to par.com. That's P-A-R-R.com. 
Click on the Weekend Warriors link. Both Tony and I's email addresses are there. Uh, or if you want to just email us, it's uh, weekendwarriorsatpar.com. Uh, we're happy to take your questions or comments. We love it. So uh, today we're talking about lumberyard lingo. And before the break, we were talking about plywoods and the differences between all those uh, different plywoods. Plywood kind of gets lumped everything together. And uh, we were talking a little bit about underlayment grade and what underlayment grade means. And that means that there's no voids in the, uh, in the plywood. The reason you wouldn't want voids in an underlayment plywood, for instance, if you were putting linoleum over the top, if you had someone, say, walk through your home with high heels and they're walking along and next thing you know, they hit one of those voids. It's about the size of a knot in any normal piece of plywood like CDX. There's voids all through that plywood. It would potentially, you could break through the top surface of that plywood into a void down below. Through the linoleum. Through the linoleum. Through the top veneer and into that void. So worse, you know... Best case scenario, you probably just dent your, your linoleum. Worst case scenario, you could have some serious problems so we could break their ankle. Or you'd have to pull all that linoleum. All of it. And that decking up, put down new, and that's expensive. Yeah, so that is why a lot of times the underlayment that's used is particle board. Particle board, again, is uh, fine particles of wood fiber and glue, and it's solid all the way through. No voids. At all, and that is perfect for underlayment uh, under a, a floor like linoleum. The the challenge with particle board is, as we've mentioned so many times during this show, uh, ex, you know, water will make it swell up and fall apart. And so, particle board underlayment, you know, we have a tendency to spill. We have a tendency to have things leak in the house: a leaky faucet, or a leaky drain, or a leaky tub, or a leaky toilet. You name it. If you've got water introduced to the floor and it's not cleaned up right away and it stands there or it continues to leak, that will cause that underlayment to swell up and you'll be replacing that floor. Yeah. I'm a fan of plywood underlayment. Tony and I have, have had this discussion before talking about the difference between plywood and particle board underlayment. Tony actually made a case of using particle board as underlayment that if there was a problem, you'd know about it sooner. And it's an interesting argument. Like in the bathroom, if your toilet was leaking, uh, you'd know it pretty darn quick if you had particle board because it would swell up and you would see that swelling around wherever the leak was. Uh, where plywood doesn't do that as quickly. Yeah, as a matter of fact, if you know soon enough and you have to replace the, the linoleum and the, and the underlayment, well, that happens before your joist and your decking start to rot. If the if the water leak is been around for a long time or going to be around for a long time, you don't want to wait until the structure of your floor is failing to go in there and replace it. Um, rot or dry rot, uh, those are things that uh, come with a long period of time of moisture being present. And uh, you wouldn't know it with plywood necessarily because plywood just won't swell up like that and cause that problem. That is... A matter of preference or opinion, right? Um, so I, I can see the case for particle board. Yeah. Well, you know, with some of the newer particle boards, you know, it used to be a big deal uh, with the urea formaldehyde 
they would use in the resins and glues that they would use to make particle board, particle board. that urea formaldehyde would off gas. And sometimes if you did a, an entire house in particle board, uh, that off gassing could collect in your home and it would, it would make people sick. Mm. So there was a really big push a few years back to get away from that. Um, a lot of people switched to plywood, but they did start making particle board that you can get that doesn't have that in it. So something to keep in mind. Yeah, absolutely. If that's an issue for mm-hmm. you. Some other terms, some other other panel terms. Here's one that we hear all the time, Tony. T111. <laughs> yeah. We are on the outside as we're talking about panels. We kind of creeped back inside for a minute, but um, talking about exterior type sheathing, right? Um, T111 is a siding, actually. It's plywood. It's put together like plywood with exterior glue like plywood. Um, but it has that resawn face, which makes it look more like authentic wood and not like a plain version or something else. And uh, generally, it has, uh, there's really three patterns. In T111, uh, you will f- most commonly see something what we call an eight inch on center pattern, where there's a groove every eight inches. For the width of the boards, those those grooves run vertically from the top to the bottom. Uh, a four inch on center groove, and then of course a plain resawn select, which people still call T one eleven, even though it's not. Yeah, yeah, T one eleven or plain T one eleven. I mean, T one eleven is the texture. I think it stands for texture one eleven or pattern, um, four inch, eight inch. Uh, but yeah, plain rough sawn. That's pretty common. I've heard plain T one eleven. You missed one. Okay. Kerf cut. Tell me about that, because I don't know what that is. Kerf cut is essentially, it's it's just like T111, except T111 grooves are probably what? Three-eighths three of an inch yeah. by a quarter inch deep, mm-hmm. uh, cut down just in the top couple veneers of the plywood. Depending on whether or not it's reverse board and bat, which well, is a... Well, that's a different one. Yeah, which is another one. So, Kerf, uh, uh, saw kerf plywood is essentially a four inch on center saw kerf that is just the thin the width of a saw blade and the depth is only about an eighth of an inch so you just see these little saw curves every four inches on center and honestly it mimics one by four tongue and groove cedar pretty closely interesting honestly i've never seen that product iwp sells it really yeah so a uh, curve plywood looks really cool i huh. really like that product uh and again you mentioned reverse board and bat yeah that's that's a a, completely different product yeah i mean it's like t111 in the way that it's made and the way that it's manufactured Mm -hmm. uh it would be if it were a t111 it would be a 12 inch on center t111 but it's actually the groove is quite a bit wider i think that's about an inch or an inch and a quarter maybe yeah it's uh, it's wide wide groove and uh and 12 inches between but that really is intended for a different reason a long time ago very common siding was a board and batten siding where you would have a um You'd have a resawn face on the ply, and then you would have a one by two or a one by three batten every 12 or 24 inches on the outside, and that was a very common type of siding. Then they started to create the reverse board and bat, which was a sheet, well, a lot less expensive to do, uh, and then instead of a batten, it had a groove to sort of mimic the batten. Yeah. Well, way back, back in the day, they would do a board and batten with actual boards, you know, and batten, so it would alternate... Um, you know, thick piece of wood, narrow piece of wood, thick piece of wood. Well, way, solid. Well, yeah, way, way back, 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 back in the day, they would just drop a bunch of trees and they'd <laughs> land on each other and then they would build a fire inside. 
They call that a teepee, <laughs> yeah. a log cabin, a log cabin. Yeah, that's right. You can actually buy log cabin siding. That's just like a yeah, absolutely. Love it's gorgeous. Veneer. Actually, it is cool. I, I really like it. But let's just do one more. Way back, 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 back in the day, they just cut a hole in rock. Got called that cave. <laughs> Are you sure they wouldn't just find the whole? Oh, maybe they find it. I mean, I don't know. I'm not trying to take anything away from them. You think like Fred Flintstone style? Yeah, there you go. Fred Flintstone. Cut a little hole in the wall. (laughs) Anyway, so yeah, we've been talking about plywood here. There's a couple more terms within panels. And again, we said it, plywood. Plywood is like the Kleenex. Uh, But there's a couple more terms that we hear all the time when talking about panels. Square edge, TNG, and shiplap. Wow. We should cover those after the break. Oh, absolutely. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll pick up there as soon as we get back. You're listening to Tony and Corey, your weekend warriors. Don't go away. show built by par lumber now here's tony and Corey. hey welcome back to the weekend warriors home improvement show thanks for staying with us today tony and i are talking lumber yard lingo and uh, all the terms that you'd hear that uh, when you walk into the lumber yard sometimes uh they might sound mystifying, but they're not. It's a whole different language in there sometimes. It is sometimes. You know, when I first started in the lumber industry, and I think I told this story on the last Lumberyard Lingo show, uh, I had a, I started at the front counter uh, working customer service at, you know, behind a computer there. I didn't know much of anything. I mean, I, I knew a lot, but a guy came in and said, I'm looking for some leatherback. Yeah. Like like a turtle? Yeah. You're the wrong place, buddy. Yeah. But I was mistaken. I mean, there's the term uh, leatherback is pretty common in the building materials industry. Yeah. It just means... Uh, snorkel paper. Yeah, like snorkel paper. <laughs> that's another weird <laughs> term, <laughs> snorkel paper. Snorkel paper. Uh, or felt with, impregnated with tar in it. Yeah. So, kind of weird. Yeah, there are a lot weird. Of weird terms. And, and, you know, there are also sort of regional terms. You know, you get a bunch of guys that work together for a long time. Oh, sure. Building subdivision after subdivision after subdivision. And they have weird names. I had a guy come into the Hillsborough Yard when I was working there, and he said, I need 15 sheets of shimangi. Shimangi. Yeah, shimangi. And I'm thinking, I have no idea what that is. What is shimangi? Is that exotic? You know, it is was from... Yeah, is it from China. What he he just went away from board, man. I mean, it was it was the simplest thing. He's like, you guys sell that all the time, but they, he called it shimangi. It's funny. Uh, yeah, it's just weird. You just get used to that stuff. There's lots of weird. Start wading names into the weird things. terms. Yeah, <laughs> I had a guy order uh, from me uh, like 20 sheets of particle board, so I sent it out. And he says, "Why'd you send me OSB?" Oh, <laughs> and I'm like, "Uh, what?" And so I, I thought that our yard screwed up. I oh, thought sure. they pulled the wrong thing. So I said, well, send a picture of it to me. So sure enough, we sent him particle board. He just thought. He had them backwards. Particle board was OSB and that OSB was particle board. (laughs) So hence what this show is about today. Absolutely. So uh, before the break, we sang uh, the term TNG, square edge, and shiplap. Yeah. Square edge is pretty, I mean, that's pretty easy. It's going to have square edges. Uh, TNG, that just stands for tongue and groove. And you would see TNG plywood used typically in a floor system. Right. Uh, that that tongue and that grooves adds strength and stability to the panels 
uh, as you put them together that spans across joists. Okay, so I'm going to throw you another little little one here. How about nickel gap? Uh, yeah, nickel gap. Nickel gap is something that's a tongue and groove product, generally used as a finished product. Maybe mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. interior wall covering or exterior siding or something like that. But when the tongue and the groove come together, it leaves a distinct gap about, I guess, the thickness of a nickel. Or yeah, I think that's, that's what the that, term is. That at least is what people are thinking. Uh, and so a dime gap would be thinner. I think, right. right. But what, what you don't get is you don't get variable gaps, right? A lot of times with TNG, depending on how it's, you know, how it's been milled or if it's swollen a little bit, you know, it doesn't always come together tight. Sometimes it leaves a gap and sometimes it doesn't. Well, this product is intended to leave the same gap all the time and it gives you a really good reveal. I like it. Oh, uh, yeah. It's very modern. Yeah. It's, it's very, a very nice know. look. Um, well, going along with nickel gap, mm-hmm. we didn't mention V-Groove. Oh, V-Groove. Yes. That's a very good one. This is also a tongue and groove product. Uh, and a lot of times you'll find that you have the V-groove pattern on one side, what they call a V4, uh, and then a non-V-groove or non-bevel on the opposite side. So you have a square edge where the tongue and groove comes together flush on one side. And then on the other side, every, um, well, you know, that that dimension varies, but where the tongue and the groove come together, it's beveled there, which creates a V-groove. V-groove, yeah. yeah. And there's different widths. You can get four inch on center, six inch on center V groove, depending on the the piece. Typically, V groove and nickel gap is used in solid wood. Like a one by six nickel gap would be a one by six that when you put them together on a wall uh, or in a soffit, they would leave that nickel gap. Or if you put them with the V groove, you would see that V groove. It's solid wood, typically. Yeah. Another one that, that plays right along with that is a beaded paneling. A lot of times where that V-groove is, there's a bead inside there, a raised portion, sort of a half round in there. A little roundy. Yeah, a little roundy quarter round. inch round. Yeah. And then uh, and that's at the groove where it comes together. And then there's usually a bead that runs down the middle of the board. So you have them more like inch and a half apart or so. Yeah. Yeah. And they make beaded panel, beaded ceiling panel. Uh, in we, in we four by eight know, sheets, yeah. We both know that my kitchen uh, that we remodeled, the entire thing was beaded panel. Yep, that's right. Which was a total pain to get down. But they actually make a beaded paneling in MDF also. That's right. They make it in like a plywood, and they also make it in a in a medium-density fiberboard. Paint's really nice. Yeah, paint's up super sweet. Just don't let it get wet. The, uh, the other one, shiplap. Well, oh, there's yeah. two. Everybody in the world. Channel. Everybody in the world knows what shiplap is. Yes. Right. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> shiplap. Joanna Gaines. <laughs> yeah. Well, shiplap is great, right? Shiplap uh, goes all the way back. It's goes together, kind of like a tongue and groove, um, except instead you have opposite grooves on the ends. Uh, one's up over and one's down under, and they they push together and do also generally leave a gap. Yeah. Uh, Some sort of a uniform gap. Sometimes uniform, sometimes not. Right. Uh, The older stuff probably doesn't have as uniform of a gap. Uh, Older homes were built, you know, you were typically the walls were sheathed and the roof was sheathed with uh, shiplap. Yep, that's right. Uh, I like a number two. Yeah. A less expensive grade of lumber, but went together the same way. But in the 50s and 40s, number two was our number one today. Yeah. And so that's, you know, kind of how that whole thing with Joanna Gaines came about in Texas where they're where they're flipping houses, um, a lot of the sheeting where we're using plywood 
is uh, shiplap. And what they would do is they would pull that um, that outer covering off and find that shiplap underneath there and say, we're leaving that. Yeah. They'd sand it down and paint it and get a real rustic look. And that was uh, how that how that modern day popularity came around. Totally. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we've covered a lot with the lumberyard lingo, you know, but there's still a lot of construction lingo, so to speak. You know, I think we should jump in and start talking about terms that we hear every day in the general construction world. Okay. Yeah. That's, think? I think that's a great idea. Let's, let's start right in with the house. All right. Hit it. Foundation. Oh, yeah. Well, I think most people know what the foundation is. Foundation is the... That's uh, an easy one. It's the concrete structure that's underneath the wood structure that makes up your home. Yep. And uh, it literally is the foundation of your home. And uh, and it's it's very important that it is maintained. We talk about it all the time. Mm-hmm. If you see a crack in your foundation, it's something that needs to be filled. And I won't get on a tangent. <laughs> <laughs> uh, here's a funny name. Visqueen. Oh, yeah, that is a funny name. Visqueen. Visqueen, also known as poly. Yeah, or plastic. Or plastic, yeah. And it's a sheeting as well. Um, Visqueen is what's used to cover the bare ground underneath your home in your crawl space. And uh, that keeps moisture from coming up out of the ground. And... um, and, and getting your, you know, your the moisture coming up and settling in the wooden structure of your home. In some areas of the country, they actually put visqueen on the walls. Really? On the roof, yeah. Mm. Like in Canada. Yeah. You ever saw the uh, it sounds like Canadian a, shows? It sounds like a dew point to me. It is. Well, it is. And it depends on your climate. So we don't do it here because we have a really temperate climate. And we don't have a lot of humidity um, in areas like different parts of the country where the climates are different. Uh, it actually benefits them to use visqueen and air seal it. But it's very important to air seal it because if you don't, you can create a dew point at that sheathing. In the wall cavity. That could potentially, you'll have uh, yeah. condensation there on that plastic, which is really difficult to manage once it's inside the wall. Visqueen is available in clear and black very commonly. And those those sizes of rolls that that comes on are usually pretty big. 8, 10, 12, 16, and 20 by 100 feet yeah by 50 sometimes and then by 100 feet and it goes all the way up to 24 26 28 feet by 100 foot those are big rolls for covering a big area i've sold rolls like that to cover entire homes yeah yikes so uh yeah um so another term here that goes along with the foundation would be a footing oh yeah the footing is actually I feel like you're asking me to just dis- to describe each of these things, so I'm just going to jump in. If I'm talking too much, you just tell me. The footing is actually a concrete that's poured underneath the stem wall, so the footing is part of your foundation, but it's generally the first pour, um, and it's down, and then the stem wall is poured on top of that. Sometimes when foundations are poured, they monopour, which means they build a they build a, a form that allows them to pour the footing and the stem at the same time. Or a footing could also be uh, under a post, just yep, an, that's a, right. an individual footing. Um, also going along with shoeing. You have to shoeing your footing. Shoeing your footing? <laughs> wow. I feel, totally, like, I feel like we've started talking about something. Totally in, made that up. Yeah. <laughs> something that Al Bundy would know more about. Shoeing, shoeing. would be like. You That'd know, be like you shoe your horses. Yeah, like the dog comes in the room and you're eating. You're shoe, 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 shoe. Get out of here. Shoeing the dog, yes. I see. Okay. Uh, you know what? We got to take a quick break. When we come back, more lumberyard lingo. You're listening to Tony Core, your weekend warriors. Don't go.
Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show, built by Par Lumber. When it comes to big or small projects around the home, Tony and Corey have got the know-how and the answers to make your life just a bit easier. Now, here's Tony and Corey. Hey, welcome back to the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show, built by Par Lumber. I'm Corey Valdez. I'm Tony Cookston. Thanks for staying with us. Today in the show, we're talking lumber yard lingo. Uh, but if you haven't already, go check out our uh, Facebook and Instagram. We're at WW Home Show. Uh, if you would like to watch or listen to this podcast, you can go to YouTube. We're recording the show right now. So uh, welcome, all you YouTubers. Uh, make sure you subscribe to our channel. You get all the latest updates. We're doing tons of uh, how-to videos right now and uh, product reviews. We love it. We're doing all that and we're loading that up right now. So go check it out. If you yeah. have questions or comments, you can leave them there or you can email us. You can also check out our website at www.homeshow.com. Yeah, you can also go to par.com, P-A-R-R.com. Click on the Weekend Warriors link and it'll take you to our website. All of our stuff is there. Yeah, so uh, we've we, kind of yeah we've kind of delved into a really sort of construction lingo a little yes. bit. We started in the lumberyard. We were talking about those things, and some of the things that go along with that are, are project terms, terms that you might come across during your project, which is definitely terms you'll come across in a conversation with somebody at, at the, the lumberyard lumber about your project. Yeah, if you come in there saying I need some of that stuff that goes under the house and it's. You know, it's that thing, and it goes next to that tall, what, that what call it? Narrow. You know, yeah, they're not gonna know what you're talking. The whoosie, what's it? So, you know, we're covering this stuff for your benefit. You know, the the green thing over by that super rough stuff. This <laughs> is <just> dumb. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So let's keep going. We're talking about uh, little framing terms now uh, that you most likely hear in a lumberyard. Uh, here's another big common one: is uh, post and beam. Post and beam. Absolutely. This is uh, becoming becoming less and less common, isn't it? Yeah. You know, with the uh, advent of iJoyce, iJoyce are becoming a lot more popular. Uh, slab on gray, those are other terms. But uh, a post and beam is going to be a huge percentage of homes built, at least in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, the way they build homes here is they do a little dig out. Uh, they pour little piers all through the that foundation concrete pads yeah throw plastic visqueen down and then little posts and then they put beams down that span from one side of the home to the other and then rest on those posts and then right over the top of that of course is your decking correct yeah two by six tongue and groove decking usually if yeah, you're pretty common post and beam down yeah a newer version of that would be to use inch and an eighth uh edge gold or uh you know OSB, TNG, that's pretty common. That's a really, really nice floor. Uh, one of the bad things about 2x6 tongue and groove are all of the knots and the airflow. It essentially is leaving that uh, area wide open between your crawl space and your living space because of all that free airflow. Yeah, so, that's right. Yeah, also, you, you mentioned inch and an eighth uh, wafer board tongue and groove, right? Mm -hmm. Could also be inch and an eighth two for one. Uh, which would be like a plywood underlay grade plywood TNG, uh, two for one. I think that got that they got that's name. They were calling it uh, two two floors for one, two <laughs> floors in one. I don't, I think it's two for one. It is two for one, two for one, two for one, two for one. <laughs> um, you know the difference between a full face and a scant face. I do. That's pretty. Uh, 
that's get, getting in the weeds there a little yeah, bit. Yeah, that is. It really starts to get uh, it really starts to get complicated, kind of. Sometimes uh, you, you might get that question. You walk in and say, I need a sheet of inch and an eighth plywood. They would say, you want full face or scant face. Most times, the lumber yard's only going to stock one. You know, there's no reason to stock both scant and full, but it essentially is the width of the panel. Either they measure it from the edge of the groove to the other side, or they measure it from, measure it from inside of the tongue to the edge of the panel. Yeah. So this one scant. 48 inches and the other one's full 48 inches yeah i mean it it ultimately depends on not depends it results in a different bit of uh of coverage so it can sure. be important yeah the layout's important yeah so what else you got after post and beam what do you got well you know we covered subfloor car decking here's a funny one sill sealer Seal sealer. Seal. Yeah. i've heard it seal seal sealer too seal, sealer seal sealer Fo- yeah. foam seal seal uh, essentially what that is, is it's a roll of uh, thin foam, maybe like an eighth of an inch thick, uh, that rolls out and creates an air barrier, cuts the air out between the home uh, exterior and interior. It essentially, it's, it's like a gasket. A gasket, it goes, gasket. Goes, goes on top of the concrete and under your treated plate. Yes. Um, and, w- and then, on, of course, on top of your treated plate is the bottom of your wall. Which is, there's a pretty interesting story... Uh, that I heard from somebody who potentially was in the know, and I don't know if this is entirely true, but it actually makes sense. Uh, so they put seal sealer, uh, that foam gasket, between the foundation, the concrete foundation, and the bottom plate, your your pressure-treated sill plate, green plate, mud sill. That's a lot of terms there. He has um, a lot. <laughs> but it, it, it's supposed to create an air stop between the outside and the inside, but then we have vents all around that foundation wall. It makes no difference, right? So what is that foam sill sealer even doing? So this guy said, told me, he's like, well, it was actually, it was supposed to go on top of the, the sill plate so that when your plywood went down on it, or even above that, I think, between the plywood or your subfloor and the your bottom, bottom plate. Bottom plate of your wall, so yeah. So it would prevent air leakage into the inside of your home. Right now, it prevents air leakage into the, your crawl space, which just makes no sense. Yeah, because there's free air flowing in your crawl space right. already. It's weird, right? Yeah, it is. I admit, uh, it is weird. I, I don't know that I completely understand that, and yet everybody uses it well, all the yeah, time. It's, well, it's written into the code. The guy that told me the story said, well, you know, they did it this way, and they wrote it in there wrong, so they've just been doing it wrong ever since. <laughs> and Isn't it, it funny? It, it was credible. Yeah. You know, it just it makes sense. Uh, it's very interesting. It's an interesting thought. <laughs> uh, it's not super inexpensive stuff, but it uh, it is something. Corey and I used it a little unconventionally, actually. Yeah. Um, we used it when we built the uh, the studio here, and uh, we actually used sill um, sill sealer up at the top behind the sheetrock, between the sheetrock and the wall cavity at the top and the bottom. Yep, at the top and the bottom to create a an air seal. So uh, this shed was kind of built, you know, as a shed. Mm-hmm. And since we wanted to finish it, we didn't want all this air infiltration leakage. So we we foamed everything up. Yeah. And I tell you what, it's it's tight as a... It's tight as a drum. Yeah. That's for sure. It's really difficult to open and close our door. <laughs> yeah. Okay, what's the next one? Anchor bolt. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of names for that, too. Redhead. Um, what about a pin drive? The easy anchor. Yep. Um, there's a lot of those. Wedge Jimmy anchor. Bolt. Yeah. 
Um, there's a lot of those. Anyways, this is uh, something that you use to tie your wood to your concrete. And um, if you get a J-bolt, J-bolt you set in the foundation when it's wet. Mm -hmm. And then when it sets up, you just have this bolt, this threaded bolt sticking up out of the foundation. Drill a hole in your, uh, in your green plate, which is the pressure-treated material that separates the foundation wall from your, the bottom plate of your, of your wall. And the reason why you do that is because um, concrete is porous, right? And so water will wick from the concrete into the wood that's sitting on top of it. So you use a pressure-treated piece of wood there and untreated wood on top of that. We'll talk more about that right after this break. You're listening to Tony and Corey, Your Weekend Warriors. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show. Thanks for staying with us. Today we're talking about lumberyard lingo. Uh, we kind of moved into framing terms. Construction terms. Yeah, construction terms. So yeah. we started off with uh, the foundation, kind of working our way through the house. You know, we talked about plates, you know, not the ones you eat off of, <laughs> uh, but the lumber plates. Sill plate. Sill plate. The, your bottom plate. Green plate. There's another one here. Studs. Studs. Not talking about us. There's a couple of them in this room, I'll tell you. <laughs> Woo. Yeah. Uh, but no, studs are uh, typically pre-cut lengths. Pre Not, precision and trimmed. Yeah, they call it PET. Uh, you'd come in and order a stud. It's, you know, they're, they're cut in such a way that the wall height with your plates will net you an 8-foot, a 9-foot, or a 10-foot wall. Uh, and even seven foot six or something weird is yeah. 88 and five eighths. Yeah. Plus your plates. Uh, that's old, old, low, low ceiling uh, houses were built 88 and five eighths. To I owned a money. house with walls that high. Yeah. yeah. That's a bummer. You you just don't want to live in a, in, a, in a house that's got ceilings that are that low. Right. No fun. Uh, uh, but yeah, you've got your 92 and five eighths, 104 and five eighths, get you nine foot, and then 116 and five eighths to get you your 10 foot. That's, and that's right. That's just. That again, that's with all of the plates and the studs together that nets you that wall. And because so many studs are purchased, I mean, in mass quantity, uh, and we buy them in mass quantity, already precision and trimmed, they're actually pretty affordable. They're, they're super inexpensive. Oh, yeah. So, but if you, if you wanted to get an eight foot two by four, you wouldn't say a two by four stud because the two by four stud would be a precision and trimmed length, right. one of those lengths. Now, they are inexpensive, but they're not eight foot tall. There yeah, some, if you came in and said, different. "Give me, give me a twenty-two by four, eight-foot studs," right? They would probably give you ninety-two and five-eighths, right? And then you'd be like, "What in the world?" Yeah. Uh, however, here's something to keep in mind: if you were going in to build, say, a shed, and you wanted the wall heights, you to wanted be eight, eight foot. Eight, well, eight foot. Say you wanted eight footers, uh -huh. and you wanted your wall height to be like you know, one hundred inches overall. You know, with your plate heights, your you're going to go in and you're going to get two by four eights and you got, say, 50 of them. All 50 of those studs are not going to be the same length. I guarantee it. They vary anywhere between, you know, 96 and an eighth or 95 and three quarter to 96 and a half. 
Uh, it's just the the range because there's there's a, a industry standard yeah, and a variance <laughs> an allowable variance in that cut length because they're not precision end trimmed. That's right. PET, right. Which studs are right. So you you order ten units of ninety two and five eight studs. They're all ninety two and five eighths. It's just the way it is. Right. Uh, it's just something to keep in mind. Yeah. Uh, there is such thing as industry standard. And that allows for some um, variation in in sizes. So that's something to keep in mind. Absolutely. Here's one if you're a soccer fan. Soccer. Header. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I, I've never done a header in soccer. I've never played soccer, but I feel like it would be something I'd want to do if I did. Yeah, I would just I header all the time. <laughs> just right into the goal, right? I can't kick very hard, but I could probably headbutt that sucker. <laughs> the header, uh, generally a 4x6, a 4x8, a 4x10, or a 4x12, or uh, could even be 6x, um, is, the, is the beam that goes over top of your doors and windows. Any fenestration in the wall, there's a header that goes over the top. It sits on top of trimmers, and, uh, and that carries the load that is in the wall and the roof above an opening. Obviously, you put an opening. There's no studs in that opening, so that opening is susceptible. So you put a, a very heavy-duty beam over the top of that to and carry. It transfers that load. Carry that load, that's around right. Around that window or door opening down to the foundation. Right. That's a header. Header stock, they call it. Yeah, and those actually sit on king studs. Mm-hmm. King studs and trimmers. King studs and trimmers, that's right. So, uh, oh, here's another one. Bearing wall. Oh, yeah. I think we've probably we've talked heard about that, that term a, before. A few times. You've in got our... bearing, non-bearing, and load bearing. Um, you know, sometimes if somebody come in and somebody will say, well, I want to remove this wall. And you might say, well, is it a bearing wall or a load bearing wall? That just means that there is physical load uh, transferring down from the roof or a second floor or something sitting on that wall. And if you remove it, it's structural. So you can't just take it out. You have to replace it with a header. Right. That's right. Or a beam overhead, something like that. Yeah. A bearing wall something would be to carry the that load. opposite of a partition wall. A partition wall is non-load bearing, and it's just there to partition off rooms in your house. Mm -hmm. So if you say you have a uh, 20-foot wide home, ranch home, and the trusses span from one side to the other. Mm-hmm. Every wall in that house on the interior, more than likely, is a partition wall. Yep. So if you said, I want to take them all out, you probably can. Because the trusses are carrying the load. Correct. From exterior wall to exterior wall, and there's nothing in the middle. Absolutely. Yeah. Makes perfect sense. So uh, we kind of covered, uh, oh, shear wall. Oh, yeah. This is going to be you all day long. Well, yeah. I mean, what a shear wall is an engineered wall. And this, again, is something you would typically see in areas of ours where you would have um, seismic, potentially seismic occurrences, where if there's an earthquake. Well, what your house is going to want to do shimmy. Is, is, yeah, shimmy, kind of shimmy and rack. Right. And when you're talking about shear, that shear wall is there. It's engineered by an, an engineer that says this wall will act as a shear wall to prevent your house from collapsing in the event of an earthquake. Right. And they're specifically designed. Uh, you'd see them a lot in narrow walls, like on a garage front wall. That's typically a shear wall uh, where it's 
it's specifically designed, like I said, in the event of an earthquake, your house won't catastrophically fail. That's the main idea behind that. Yeah, I mean, you put when you put a wall up, right, the top plate and the bottom plate and the studs in between, yep. it would want to fall left or right, right? Right. It would want to collapse on itself like dominoes kind of. Yeah, until you put sheeting you put on it. Yeah, until you put sheetrock on it. And when you put sheetrock on it, then that makes it more sturdy. But in the case of an earthquake, uh, that sheetrock's going to crumble and fall right off. Yeah. So they put structural panels on that wall in order to make it to give it sheer strength so that it won't rack back and forth. And sometimes there'll even be extra heavy-duty hardware in there uh, that bolt down through that wall. They bolt to, say, studs or posts inside of that wall mm -hmm. that are nailed with specific nailing patterns uh, in that the load is bolted down to the foundation with very heavy-duty. I mean, five-eighths, three-quarter even, one-inch hex bolts mm -hmm. that take all of that load and bolt it down to the house. Yeah, so it can't go flying away. It's just that thing is there, Yeah, and the, and it's keeping your house standing up straight. That's exactly what they're for. Sheer wall. Sheer. All right, here's another term that uh, you might hear, and it's a uh, ledger. Ledger. Like Heath. Like Heath Ledger, yes. Uh, no. Or your checkbook ledger. I'll tell you what, when you say ledger to me, the first thing that I think about is... Um, is the, the board that you nail or fasten, not nail, honestly, fasten to the side of the house, right? And that holds your deck structure. If you're putting a deck up and you're attaching it to the house, the first thing you put on is a ledger board. You fasten that ledger board very tightly to the house, strong and secure, and then all of the rest of your decking members are attached to that. Keeps it up, from, keeps it from falling down. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. It's, it's our a ledger. Deck ledger. Yes. You can also have ledgers on the inside, you know, depending on how the, the wall is built. Uh, you could have what's called a balloon frame wall. Sometimes uh -oh. you could balloon frame from the, that's a funny term, I know. <laughs> uh, all that means is the studs go from the, you know, bottom floor all the way up to the second floor. And then sometimes you can put a ledger across that uh, and to hang your second floor on. Interesting. Um, or, um, you know, any, any sort of ledger, like you said. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, ledger. Yeah, ledger. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so let's move on. Uh, how about coffer? No. I don't know. You don't know what a coffer is? I do know what something is when it's coffered, but I don't know how to describe a coffer. What is a coffer? I'll tell you after the break. All right, got to take a quick break. More Lumberyard Lingo when we get back. You're listening to Tony and Corey. Don't go away. to the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show built by Par Lumber. Now, here's Tony and Corey. Hey, welcome back to the show, everybody. Thanks for staying with us. Today in the show, we're talking about lumber yard lingo, uh, but I want to remind everybody that uh, we are on YouTube now. Uh, we're recording the show right now. It's going to air on YouTube and uh, you can go check that out or uh, just search the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show. That'll bring it up. Subscribe to that. We'd love that. Uh, also, check us out on Instagram and Facebook at WW Home Show. Go like us, follow us, uh, that sort of thing. We put some really, really cool posts up and uh, that we're really proud of. So we'd love you to see them. Absolutely. Uh, questions or comments, we absolutely uh, would love that too. Mm -hmm. 
So today on the show, we're talking about lingo. And uh, before the break, we uh, were talking about coffer. Coffer, yeah. Well, you said to me, coffer. I know uh, I know what a coffered ceiling is, but is, exactly is a coffer just one of the coffers in a ceiling? Yeah, it's a, it's an indentation in a ceiling. You would okay. see uh, old, you know, coffered ceilings. You might see architectural where they're, uh, you know, many squares or octagonal shapes that are indented with built out, you know, pieces of trim. It's it looks mm-hmm. really really cool. Yeah, but that's a cool term, coffer. Yeah. Um, when I have you over, I make you fill my coffers with money. They, they, they put money in the, in the holes in the ceiling? <laughs> Labor. <laughs> anyway, uh, how about a, a jack? A stair jack. Stair jack, also known as a stair stringer. Yeah, or a riser. Or, stair riser. Yeah, stair riser. That is the structure uh, that is sort of uh, looks like um, teeth or, um, I don't know, jagged, you know, uh, thing that goes up and it holds your stair treads and your stair risers. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a landing. Of course. Pad, landing yep. pad. That's the landing. It's at the top and the bottom of the stairs. Yep. Uh, or, uh, yeah. Uh, here's some interesting. Well, let's talk about roofs or roofs. You say roof or roof? I say, I say roof. Roof. Roof? Yeah. Maybe I say roof. I, I say roof. I'm not entirely sure. <laughs> roof. So uh, there's roofs. lots of different types of roofs. Roofs. Uh, a shed roof. Everybody yes. Everybody kind of know what a shed roof is. Yeah, a shed roof is like half of an A-frame. Yeah. Might sit on a ledger on the side of a wall and just have a shed roof out. It just comes a down. Posts. Yeah. Yep. Drops a little bit to let the water run off. That's perfect. Yeah. Then you have a gable roof. Mm-hmm. That's like an that's like an A-frame yeah. roof. On top of, yeah. Standard A-frame. Go, go to a point. Mm-hmm. Uh, a hip roof. A hip roof won't have a gable, but it'll have a hip rafter that comes from the peak down to the corner, and all sides are angled down. Mm-hmm. That's hard to describe. I know what you're talking about, of course, because there's no gable end. Instead right. of a gable end, it's roofed over. Here's a weird one. Mm-hmm. Game Mm, Yeah, I feel like this game bro- I don't know, but I feel like that's telling me barn. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. An old barn roof where it has a double pitched roof. Right. Okay. Might go up at a very high, high pitch, and then uh, go pitch over again a little bit up, yep. up to the peak. And then there's always a rooster on top. <laughs> right? Is there is like there? like a weather a weather vane, a rooster weather vane on top of a gambrel roof? If it's not there, you did something wrong. Yeah, you should always have that. I think it just appears there automatically when you when you build a structure with a gambrel roof. There's automatically a weather van. Here's, here's the last weird one. A mansard. Oh, no, I have no idea what that a is. A mansard roof. Mansard. Oh, mansard. Mansard. Mansard roof. I don't, I don't know what that is. That one is very difficult to describe. Um, I would call it French. Very, like French chateau, where the, the roof on the, uh, on the exterior is very, it almost looks like a hat. It's very high pitched, and then it goes up to a, a oh, point, and then it's flat on top. And it's flat. Oh yeah, I've seen that. Sure, yeah, that's cool. Uh, I, I I would not have known that, but uh, that's a pretty cool look, and I've seen that around. It's old. Actually, it's British. Take that back. Okay. I thought it was French. It kind of reminds me of French, but <laughs> maybe the maybe the French stole it from Great yeah. Britain. Well, you know what reminds me of French is a croissant. <laughs> is that French? I doubt it. Okay, probably not. I but don't know. It reminds me of French. Anyway, let's get back to construction. Construction, yeah. Um, how, about you know, a, how about a purlin? 
A purlin. Yeah, a purlin is... Part of a roof structure. Yeah, a roof structure. Um, it could be a main beam that other joists hang off of. Okay. Uh, that would be called a purlin. Joists are uh, the other part of the structure, right? Yeah. Ceiling joist. Or roof rafter. Or roof rafter, yep. Uh, also, you would have in there a ridge, hips, valleys. Uh, yeah, hips, ridges, and valleys. And we kind of talked about those a little bit with the different roof structure. Yeah. Uh, a hip roof uses hip rafters and jack rafters that go down uh, from the peak into all four corners. Mm -hmm. So that would be a hip. And then a hip rafter is, you know, right down the smack in the middle, and then the jack rafters come off of that. Yeah. Boy, I tell I you what, it's, it's, it's complicated. It is complicated. And to be honest, you don't see too many hand-cut roofs like that anymore. Uh, most of them are going to be Trust. with truss. Yeah. Very common trusses these days. How about an outrigger? Yeah. Outrigger is a term for a piece of wood or a piece of lumber uh, on a gable end. So you'd have your gable end and then you would have your uh, barge or, var or yeah, varge rafter or barge rafter, fascia. Um, what that is, is that's that piece that sticks out as an overhang on a gable, right? Right. So to hold that on, they have what's called outlookers uh, that... It's a piece of wood that goes back to the nearest truss in. Yep. And then sticks out as an outrigger to hold up your bar drafter. Yeah, and to hold up your sheeting and your roofing. Correct. Because if the roofing and sheeting ended at your gable end, you'd have no overhang. Right. So uh, the outlookers or outriggers uh, give you that overhang. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. And then we talked about fascia. Fascia is the piece of wood that goes uh, on the edge of the... The roof, I yep. guess. To, it's your uh, trim piece. Uh, trim it out. The outermost uh, trim piece. In barge or varge, that's kind of a weird one. To me, fascia is, let's say, behind a gutter. You would have fascia behind the gutter. But on a gable end, you know, you'd have that A-frame. Mm -hmm. The piece of trim that goes out there is your barge or your varge. Interesting. Rafter. I've never heard it referred to as a varge. Uh, with a V for victory. I've, I've heard both. Interesting. Varge and barge. Mm -hmm. And marge. <laughs> Simpson? At large. <laughs> nice. Uh, how about a collar tie? You know what a collar tie is? Um, you know, I can think of a tie and a collar, uh, and they go together, but I'm not sure that I know what a collar tie is. <laughs> a collar tie is a piece of wood. So say you have a ridge beam or a ridge rafter. Uh, and then, then you're in a hand-cut roof. You'd have pieces of lumber that come up that are roof rafters that, that meet mm -hmm. at that ridge. Okay. A collar tie is the piece of wood that ties this rafter to this rafter. Oh, that straight piece underneath. Yeah, that, yeah, that little straight piece. Oh, sure. Tucked up. Yeah, I didn't know that, that was called a collar the tie. It's the A, huh. a little A there. Awesome. That is good. What about collared greens? Love them. Love them? All I right. I do love collard the greens. High in vitamin K. I don't know if you knew that. I didn't know that. Very high. Yeah, it's good. High in vitamin, yummy. <laughs> uh, we also, uh, earlier we were talking about soffit and eaves. Uh, that's just that overhang from on your roof. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the uh, soffit is that you can have an enclosed soffit. And then when you wouldn't be able to look up and see the truss tails and the roof sheeting because it would be enclosed below and then that soffit would be vented in the enclosure as opposed to being vented in the truss tails, between the truss tails. Right. Uh, sticking with trusses, you know, do you know the difference between uh, vaulted, scissors, 
and attic trusses. I do. You do? I do. Yep. I mean, I, I can tell you that attic trusses allow for storage um, up above the main living space. So you can put an attic ladder in there, go up in there. And the bottom cords of those trusses are engineered in such a way that they allow you to put a load there. And so those are attic trusses. Um, and I know that a vaulted ceiling is, uh, is well, obviously there's, there's no, there's no flat structure directly above your head, no ceiling. Instead, the framing of the roof all the way up to the very peak is all open. Yeah. Um, now a scissor truss is like a truss that allows you to have a vaulted type of ceiling, um, but not a full vault. We should cover more about that when we come back. You're listening to Tony and Corey, your weekend warriors. Don't go away. Welcome back to the Weekend Warriors. Thanks for sticking around. Today, Tony and I are talking about lumber yard lingo. Uh, the past couple uh, segments, we've been talking about... Uh, construction cons- terms. Yeah, construction terms, construction lingo. Yeah. And uh, some of the things you might hear on a construction site. Or uh, in the lumber yard talking about your project. That's right. If you're working on something in your own home and you walk in and you're trying to describe it, yeah. hopefully this helps you if out. If you're building a shed... Or uh, or something even as simple as as a, a little garden storage space or a shop or something. You're definitely talking about a lot of this stuff. Oh yeah, I mean I've heard uh, the term when people are building shops. You sell a lot of times attic trusses, mm-hmm. and another term for uh, a vaulted ceiling. You can use uh, scissor trusses mm-hmm. to accomplish that. Essentially, you're building. It sounds weird, but you're building trusses that kind of look like a scissor and they rest on one wall and another wall might be your outside walls. Uh, and the inside pitch is pitched up in such a manner that it looks vaulted. Right. It looks vaulted. Yep. Absolutely. Well, let's see what else have you got there. That's, I mean, the opposite of a hand cut roof. You mentioned it earlier, a hand cut roof, a hand cut roof is framed with individual structural members, joists, rafters, um, all of those types of things though that would be taking the place of a truss, a truss roof. Yeah, it's uh. it's much more much more complex, a lot more math uh, when you're cutting. Uh, so you don't see those too often. A right. lot of a lot of production homes are built using trusses, and that's a much easier way to do it. They crane them in, they set them on top of your top plates on the second floor or first floor, and you've got a roof. How about a plum? You like plums? I love plum. Yeah, and I love square. Oh, do you know the difference between plum and square? Well, I know plum is sort of a purplish. Color, round and squishy. How about a square plum? Had a plum tree. <laughs> no, I've not seen a square plum. Do you know the difference between a plum being plum and being square? Do you? Uh, I, I don't know. Are you asking? Wait, are you asking me? Do you know, Tony? Uh, the difference between plum and square. Yes. A plum is straight up and down, and square uh, is a right angle, right? Or mm-hmm. um, as as it relates to another surface. So. Square is perfectly perpendicular to another surface, and plumb is straight up and down. Did I get that right? Yeah. Woo! Look so at in, me go. In level, so something level would be horizontal. 
or something plum would be yeah perfect uh, straight up and down yeah that's a very uh, those are very common terms uh, if it's not if you built it and it's not plum it's a problem <laughs> uh, I used to get yelled at by my buddy when we were building my fence and I'd throw the level on there I say and I'd say yeah it's level and he said no it's not. It's not. I'm like, what are you talking about? The bubble's right there. And he says, it's plum. It's plum. He used to yell at me. He beat that into me. So That's plum, good stuff. level, and square. Plum, level, and square. So here's some other terms uh, that we've kind of, we've touched on a little bit, but uh, hold downs, straps, hangers, post bases, and post caps. Those are all things uh, that you're going to find in a home here in the Pacific Northwest, especially, uh, that are usually surrounded around the seismic aspect of uh, of building right mm-hmm, right so a hold down uh, what that what typically what that is is a piece of hardware uh, metal that will go inside of a wall that will bolt that structure down to the foundation or to the or to the f- structure that's beneath it you also yes. use hold downs to hold a second floor to the first floor they can yeah yeah so uh, that's typically what a hold down would be. A strap could potentially do the same thing. Uh, you could potentially have a strap, a metal strap that goes horizontally that will offer sheer value to that structure. I feel like very commonly um, in the in a garage application, they use straps that take uh, that attach the um, the garage wall on the door side that's underneath the beam strap across the beam and to the top of the structure that's yes. above the beam. Yeah. Holds all of that stuff together right there. Here's a weird one for you. Drag strut. Yeah, I I mean, I've seen those, <laughs> um, and they are big. I mean, those things are like quarter inch thick or, yeah. or better. That is some serious steel. I am not an engineer, but from what I understand, a drag strut allows, a it, it transfers shear from one side of the building to another using a drag strut. That's over my that's over my pay scale. I'm probably way oversimplifying that. Yeah. And I'm sure an engineer listening to this will go, what an idiot. Over my pay scale. Uh, but, but I we sell were, lots of them. Yeah, we were talking about hangers. Um, hangers. So if you're building um, a deck, let's say, for example, and you've put the ledger on the wall and you're going to attach your joist to the ledger, instead of just uh, fastening through the back of the ledger into the joist, which would be easier to do if the ledger wasn't attached to the house, you can put hangers, these metal U-shaped um, hangers, on the ledger, fasten them with Tico nails, and then you can drop the joist right into that hanger. And then that goes out to the beam that it's sitting on or more hangers on the beam that's at the other end of the deck. So hangers are these metal things, U-shaped metal deals that hold your lumber um, tightly to the, the structure that you're att- attaching it to. You just said another funny word. Tico. Oh yeah, Tico. What's a Tico? A Tico. That's a that's a word that I didn't know when I first came to Oregon and started working in the building materials industry. Somebody came in and said, "I need a box of Ticos," and I said, "I have no idea what you're talking about." It is a metal connector nail, a joist hanger, a joist hanger nail. Typically, they're really fat in diameter. They have a lot of sheer value to them, uh, and they're you know typically. Uh, an inch and a quarter or inch and a half or two and a half inches, depending on what you're, uh, you're nailing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, that's a Tico, a joist metal connector nail. Yeah, and they make them big. You ever seen an N54? 
Would you call an N54 a Tico? It's a joist hanger now. It is. So it's a Tico. It's a really, really big one. It is, they're fat. They're fat. Yeah, they... N54s are like yeah. the size of your pinky. Tico nails for hangers. Also, a post cap and a post base. These are very common. A post base holds your post, your vertical post, um, to the concrete footing or to the wood structure that it's sitting on. It keeps the bottom from kicking out, mm-hmm. uh, which you need it to be uh, uh, tied there securely. And a post cap goes at the top of the post and ties the top of the post to whatever it's tying to, generally the bottom of a beam. Uh, if you're posting up a beam, then you put a post cap on the top from the post to the beam. You put a post base on the bottom from the post to the structure that you're tying it to, and those are very common. Um, yeah, no, you make a good point there. Um, we should talk about nails a little bit. We only got a few minutes left. Sure, yeah. Uh, we talked a little bit about Tico's, mm-hmm. uh, but if you come into the lumber yard and you need nails, it can be daunting. When you walk into the nail aisle at a lumber yard, uh, especially Par Lumber Company, we've got... 16 feet. Oh, yeah, of nails. Yeah. And you've got gun nails and hand drives, and you come into the yard and say, I need to nail this. They're going to say, you want vinyl-coated sinkers? Do you want hot-dipped galvanized? Do you want You want a box shank? nail? Yeah, you want a box nail? You want a bright nail? They're all... You want a finished nail? <laughs> Common <laughs> nail? <laughs> There's a lot. keep going and going and going. Roofing yeah. nail. Uh, and they all have their own purpose. You know, and we could talk about every single one of them, but the best thing to do would probably be to go and and say what your project is. Tell them what you're going to be yeah. using it for. You say, I, I'm going to buy a box of these nails and they could, you know, you say you're doing siding. You could be grabbing the completely wrong nail for the job. Siding nails are divine, uh, d- designed not to split. Yeah, they're blunted. They have blunted tips. Yeah, so you put it on your siding. And they have blunt tips, exactly, so they don't split That's right. your cedar or wood. They sort of plow their way through your wood, yeah. uh, creating a hole instead of uh, finding its way between the fibers, which creates a split. Yeah, exactly. Um, in ring shank, a ring shank nail has uh, ribs down the whole nail, and that those have really high holding power. Uh, you would typically use ring shanks in an application like in a floor, like if you're putting particle board down for instance over a subfloor or a spiral shank yeah you would yeah. put those down and it adds extra holding power so you don't get a ton of squeak and of course hot dip galvanized versus electro galvanized uh, we use electro galvanized for a long time but with the pressure treatment the way it is now hot dip galvanized is the only way to go to keep your nails from corroding after time yeah and the reason for that we should probably explain this because it is important if you go and you're building something here, uh, the, it, the treatment that is in it is made with copper. That's its base. It's copper azoles. Copper azoles. That they yeah. pump into that. That's why the, the plate is green. Green plate mm-hmm. is because that copper turns green. Well, you know what happens when you have dissimilar metals is electrolysis. So if you have zinc, which what electro-galvanized plating is, is just extra zinc, right, that they plate onto a nail. So if you have that zinc, it actually interacts with the copper, creating electrolysis, and it will corrode that nail 10 times faster right. than if you use a hot dip galvanized, which doesn't react with the copper. All right. So that's a great long explanation. Great Very piece important. of information. That's all the time we got. Thank you so much for tuning in. We sure appreciate you. This has been another episode of Your Weekend Warriors right here. The Weekend Warriors Radio Network. Have a great week. <laughs>